0: Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Ultrasound
1: Gel Podcast. Welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. I am Cray Bolger, joined today by our faithful founder, Michael Pratt. And we are going to be discussing cardiac arrest, that very non-controversial, benign, nobody's pulse goes up, well, especially not the patients.
0: That was good. I always think of cardiac arrest and ultrasound as an old married couple. There's a lot of fights in there, but they've been sticking together pretty faithfully.
1: Yeah, no one can break them up. They keep trying, but they can't do it. (laughs) All right. So Mike's going to lead us into this discussion with a case or rather compilation of cases on ultrasound and cardiac arrest.
0: Yeah, so we've been starting off with some published case reports. This one's a little bit more extensive than your usual case report, but it was so fascinating, and I just had to share it with you. So it's titled Ultrasound Guided Chest Compressions in Out-of-Hospital cardiac arrest. This was published in the Journal of Emergency Medicine back in December 2020. So this was a really interesting pre-hospital study on out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. What they were trying to do was to see how well they could use a transthoracic point-of-care echo for monitoring their chest compressions on their way to the hospital. So what they did was they looked with their ultrasound, and they tried to see are the chest compressions in the right place over the left ventricle, much like what you would do with transesophageal echo. What they found was that the chest compressions were good in only about 60% of the cases, whereas in the rest they were either partial or completely inadequate. But then they used their ultrasound to actually change where they put their hands. They were able to use ultrasound to increase the amount of good chest compressions by doing things like moving their hands lower down on the sternum. So then after those changes, much higher percentage of good location for their chest compressions. So this was really interesting. I haven't seen a lot of data on using transthoracic ultrasound for adjusting your hand positions, but I think we all know now that this is feasible. This is something you can try and it can be helpful in a similar way as transesophageal echo.
1: But Mike won't that delay CPR? That's always been the controversy, right? Like, yeah, we know ultrasound could potentially be helpful. All of our H's and T's, we learn about ACLS, but the controversy has always been, but it delays CPR. And unfortunately, the literature has supported the controversy, even though us zealots would say anecdotally, that's not the case. So we're going to discuss this article, echocardiographic pre-pause imaging, and to identifying the acoustic window during CPR, reduces CPR pause time during ACLS, a prospective cohort study. All right, so I'm gonna breathe after that one because that was a lot of words. (laughs) Woo! All right, so this was in Resuscitation Plus in June 2021, and this was Gaspari et al. As we kind of mentioned, We know ultrasound can be super helpful. Mike's told you in the cases, we can put our hands in a better place. We know that not everybody's heart has the same lie or location, but we put our hands in the same place every time we know CPR does better when we reverse the etiology of arrest and several of those etiologies can be found with ultrasound. However, we've told you before in a previous podcast that ultrasound delays our time off the chest, which we know more time on the chest, shorter pauses, improves survivability with CPR. And that's been the one consistent thing that shows improved outcomes is better, faster, less interrupted CPR. So the authors have suggested some protocols different than those in the past. We've talked to you about CASA. We've talked to you about doing TEE. Neither one of those, you know, have fully hit the ground in full force. But this article maybe gives us a suggestion. And this is something I think we've preached in our rants on those previous protocols is be prepared. If you do it right and have a plan and maybe get ready before you stop your pause, just like we have people doing with their pulse checks, right? You have them put their hands where they feel something prior to stopping, that maybe if we do that same thing with ultrasound, we can decrease our pause time. So the questions that our authors were asking is, Does pre-pause imaging, so finding the heart first, before you stop CPR, lead to a difference in the pause length in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients?
0: And if you've never done this before, I understand why some people would be confused or hesitant. It's hard to imagine sneaking your hand in there while chest compressions are ongoing either by mechanical or manual forces it seems like you would get in the way it seems like it would be impossible to get a picture but it is not you would be surprised if you apply some pressure in either a subcostal or an apical position you can get a window a good proportion of the time so you should definitely be trying this because like cray was saying this is a possible way that you can shave off some of that time that it takes to get the images during the time where the compressions are stopped so that's the whole idea here the way that they did this study this was a single academic center in the u.s they included any out-of-hospital cardiac arrest presenting to the emergency department with ongoing active cpr in progress excluded traumas If the resuscitation was stopped due to end-of-life care decisions if they lost the video recording or if the clinician who did the echo was not credentialed which by their definition was at least having 25 proctored echoes so the way they designed this was pre and post intervention and by that I mean they prospectively and consecutively enrolled all the patients which is great in the first six months of enrollment they just did whatever they were doing before there was no intervention. Then all of this department underwent a standardized 30 minute training session where they really emphasized the pre pause imaging as a means to decrease the image acquisition time. Then they subsequently collected seven months of data, which they termed the intervention period. And so we're really recording those first six months to the last seven months in terms of did this make a difference on their times, They were off the chest during these cardiac resuscitations. And the way that they measured this was because all of their resuscitations were videoed. So they said that all of these arrests take place in a special room that has a motion activated camera that will film everything. Then they will review it and looking at the times can go to the second, figuring out how long things took. There was also a second part of the study where they analyzed the images afterwards for cardiac activity and image quality, and they actually rated it on a scale. This will come into play later, but they wanted to make sure that the image quality stayed reasonable. So they put it on a scale of one to five, with one being, I can't understand anything that's going on here, and five being, this is great, you could do all sorts of quantitative analyses on this echo. So the primary outcome in the study was the change in length of the CPR pause after the teaching of the pre-pause imaging so how long do those pauses last on average and then secondary outcomes we're comparing the CPR pauses with and without echo the length of the echo itself and the differences in image quality based on that scale
1: I have to say too I really love that scoring system like I'm so sick of the old ones like mm-hmm. is it alive or not like this is this gets to the meat of it. Like if you get a two, it's still good enough for a lot of things. And so I have to give the authors kudos for that rating system because I think it's probably one of the more practical rating systems I've seen.
0: Yeah, pretty cool scale. And I'm guessing we're gonna see more of this in future research. The article gives a shout out to Felipe Taran who helped develop that scale, though he's not an author on this paper. So him and Romolo Gaspari, I think, put together this scale, which is gonna be pretty useful in the future.
1: Yeah, I think it gets to the meat of what our real questions are with this and isn't about perfect, it's about useful. So what did they see? So they had 162 patients that met their inclusion criteria, 17 of them were excluded due to lost video so they used 145 patients, 70 were pre 75 were post, so pretty equal matching. And they analyzed a total of 368 pauses, about two to three pauses per patient. Theoretically, the sub-xiphoid was the most common view, 64.7%. The peristernal long was used 35.3% of the times and more than one view was obtained 7.6% of the time. of them had mechanically-assisted compressions, so some external device, and 74% of the echoes in the intervention period used pre-pause imaging.
0: Craig, I don't know about you, but I was actually interested that 35% were parasternal in getting this pre-imaging. Well, I mean, I guess that was over the course of the entire study, but that is a harder place to get an image during compressions, I would think, whereas they didn't report any... Apical, which I think actually gives you some good images sometimes. Yeah,
1: outside of my cachectic patients and my COPDers, I love the apical four, like just sneak under that left breast tissue. And you can sometimes just leave the probe there independently if you're a single CPR provider. I've done that before and had decent views where I can at least see if they're squeezing left ventricle. I too was shocked because the apical four, honestly, is my go to now for CPR. The sub xiphoid, I feel like you're battling the interthoracic pressure. The apical four, you just kind of nestle right in and
0: yeah it's the poor man's TEE
1: I love it so what did they find their primary outcome which was just looking at average pause length. so their baseline which I will rant for Jacob because he says 10 is not that hard of a number to count to and since he could not be with us for this one their baseline was 28.3 seconds and we see this across the board and all of our friends who are working with the AHA like probably die a little when they see numbers like this seconds off the chest. And then they said, hey, try to find the ultrasound beforehand and 12.8 seconds off the chest. So an improvement of 15.5 seconds. We're still not quite below that 10 second recommendation, but we're getting closer. And we'll have to ask some questions about like, why? Like, were they doing the ultrasound in that baseline and just not doing it well? Or were they just more aware um, after the intervention?
0: The old Hawthorne effect.
1: Yeah, or got the information they needed quicker because they were doing the ultrasound, which is how I feel about my pauses, who knows. And then the secondary outcome were the echo acquisition time. So how long did it take them to find the image? The baseline was 20.4 seconds and the intervention was 11. So as we talked about in the primary outcomes, there's a 15 second difference. And is that just because they're doing the echo? Is that have to do with how quickly they were getting the echo? Well, in that second seven-month period, they took 17.3 seconds off the chest if they didn't pre-pause versus 11.8 seconds if they did the pre-pause echo. So it doesn't seem like the ultrasound by itself was the impacting factor, that it was actually that pre-pause time to find that image before you paused, before you took your hands off the chest. In regards to image quality, that scoring or scaling system that I really liked, um, it wasn't a big difference between the two periods. And that helps, I think, a little bit that they didn't like magically learn to echo in the interim, interim, that these were the same people pre and post. So I actually like that this image quality wasn't different before. When they had the expert reviewers, their kappa was 0.6 for the scoring system. The kappa for determining cardiac activity, so kind of that yes, no, was 0.78. And regardless of view, they didn't have a difference in um, acquisition time, which I kind of thought was interesting because I think a lot of people are like, yeah, but that one's really hard or that one's really easy. And they didn't really see a significant difference in time to acquisition, regardless of view obtained.
0: I liked this study a lot. It needed to be done and it's really helpful The strengths of this study were that they prospectively collected consecutive data on out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. That's great to see. And this is just a really important topic, so I'm glad that these authors are bringing this to light. Now, they did a really nice job in how you described those results, Craig, to make the case that it was actually the pre-pause that is making this difference. And I think that's kind of the crux of the question about this paper for me, Is it the pre-pause? Because when you have a pre and post study like this where they had a time period without it, they do an intervention and then they test it again, there's a lot of different things that can happen that could account for changes that you see. So the way that they are arguing that it was likely the pre-pause was because they showed that first of all, there was an improvement overall, check, you needed that. Then they showed that The difference was often based on the acquisition time, the time it took to get the ultrasound, so that checks out. And then they also showed that when you did the pre-pause itself, that was better than when you didn't do the pre-pause. tells a nice story with the data that it is likely the pre-pause that is contributing, but it's still very hard to say that that is 100% able to account for the differences seen. There are a lot of things that could have changed, as you alluded to, Cray, this was a non-blinded study, so everyone doing the ultrasounds knew that they were going to be trying to decrease their time off the chest and decrease the time that they were doing ultrasound that could potentially delay that. I think that is one of the questions that's still out there. And again, they do a nice job mitigating that argument by how they present the data. But for me, it's just not 100% sure that everything, all the benefits seen was just due to that pre-pause. Because the simplest thing is they got very directed teaching on how to do a cardiac ultrasound in between what if there's other things they taught maybe other people just didn't know like this was a problem before there's a lot of different things they could have taught in that intervention that could have affected this as well
1: I think this is going to be a constant challenge with this is the Hawthorne effect because unless you just tell them we're always watching in a very creepy big brother way anytime you you know it's like when you have an m M&M and case like you're all of a sudden more heightened to pay attention to that particular pathology and look out for it. And it's just the nature of the beast that we are humans and medicine is subject to human bias. Right. But I really liked the study. I think maybe it starts like getting rid of the reputation that ultrasound is that, you know, bad child in the realm of ACLS, that maybe we can be helpful. And, you know, there may be some benefit to pre-pause imaging, um, intra-arrest because you can guide your location, you can be ready, you can, it's kind of like how we stay on the chest when we're charging for defibrillation, like stay on the chest until you're absolutely ready to use the tool in your hand. And I think that's just valuable information. I think this shows that that's useful. I think it's very similar to the way we practice here where we do a a countdown for the pause and we make sure everybody's ready, including the sonologist. So this pre-pause imaging, I think can, can be helpful. There's really like we've kind of talked about, there's really no downside to it. Um, as long as you're staying out of the way of quality compressions when you're getting that picture. If you're decreasing by 15 seconds, that's really impressive. And that's a lot of brain perfusion we're preserving.
0: Craig, we have to bring up that these pause signs were outrageous. I mean, 30 second pauses are really unacceptable. And that's just the average. So some could have been worse than that. Remember that to our listeners, we're trying to get under 10 seconds. It's a pretty reasonable goal. The lower, the better. So, I mean, that's a that's a low bar to try to jump over. Most of the other timing studies of ultrasound, like the ones that showed delays or the ones that were trying to show that a protocol or a TE improves the delay, their baseline was around 20 seconds so this one's a little bit worse than what we've seen in the past Um, but the improved time after the interventions is pretty similar it's always around like 13 seconds or something or just above 10 seconds. So to me that says there's still work to be done and I don't think that the pre pause imaging is everything. I don't think this is like the one thing that everyone needs to do to fix it. I think we got to include this in our list of really important things to do while you're imaging in cardiac arrest. And until we get a good study that hits that 10 second mark, Cray and I have to Based on the agreement we made to help people with this podcast, we have to list the good practices in cardiac arrest, which will be probably the third or fourth time that we've done it on this podcast. So, Craig, let's go through this list, and we just tell people some good practices if you're imaging in cardiac arrest. Pre-pause imaging, that's the first one. What's another one?
1: Making your clip time a timer to remind you. So, Six seconds or less, even better, three, so you have time to get your words out and get your person back on the chest.
0: Don't waste time interpreting that image in real time while you're staring at the fuzzy image with your hand on the chest. Record a clip, get out of there, start back the chest compressions.
1: And who's ever leading the code should not ideally be the one doing the ultrasound as long as you have enough bodies in the room. But in addition to that, I'm going to make the point that you're, this is not for your the time for your least experienced person to be doing the ultrasound. This is where the ultrasound should be in the hands of somebody who's confident, capable, and competent.
0: Love it. And then lastly, consider TEE if you got it. There is some evidence that this can decrease those pause times as well. You can just put it in, leave it in, and then you don't have to pause to take a look at the echo. Try to implement those things because the pre-pause imaging is important, but other things are important as well. So to summarize this study, this was a prospective interventional cohort study of -of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients. They had 145 patients, and they found that their intervention, which included a pre-pause imaging, led to a 15-second savings in average pause time. Take-home point, pre-pause imaging has the potential to decrease delays caused by ultrasound in cardiac arrest resuscitation, but more work needs to be done to further reduce these pauses to acceptable times great stuff out from this group which we have time and time again seen a lot of awesome ultrasound cardiac arrest studies and thanks to them thanks to you our listeners we appreciate you tuning in again if you want to find out more go to ultrasoundgel.org talk to any of us on twitter and until then we will talk to you later more pressure more gel more pressure more gel just sound sound joy joy yeah. well, I gotta get this straight. <laughs>